So let's just get right into it. Matt Riche. I feel like a kid in a candy store today. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I got my bag of goodies here of stuff I want to talk about. So just, uh, I was debating doing this in the last few episodes and I think uh, intros are good because uh, it'll give the listeners a little bit about everything that we're going to talk about today. So I just wanted to highlight that for uh, the people out there, what we're going to be talking about. So if you guys aren't aware, the listeners aren't aware, Matt has over 40 years of martial arts experience uh, in various modalities from Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, Combat Hapkido, Boxing, Wrestling, Muay Thai. Um, he's a successful business business owner of Leading Edge Marks Martial Arts. Um, that's probably taken a long time to come into fruition, probably 20 plus years, probably since the first UFC and probably prior to that. So we're going to talk about those early days of what... Uh, martial arts in the city look like uh, pre-UFC, post-UFC, um, post-70s, I imagine, karate era, into how it evolved. Uh, I'm going to ask just like the straight out question later. I want to know what the best martial art is, what you think the best martial art is. Uh, I want to talk MMA, the inception of MMA in Ontario, the growth of it, uh, fighters that you've coached. Uh, I want to talk about the city, self-defense, uh, the growing difference on, in the city with safety and people's concern for safety so I want to get into the self-defense aspect of your martial arts knowledge as well as how that pertains to women in the city as well because I know uh, coaching women and training women self-defense is a big part of, uh, of your life right now uh, as well as just coaching in general I know through my talking experience through knowing you you've affected I would say hundreds if not even thousands of lives indirectly and directly through training people um, whether that be in personal coaching or in coaching classes or in self-defense or people who have passed on your knowledge, what you learned. So it's, it's pretty amazing. A lot of people speak very highly of you and, uh, and revere what you've done. So like I said, I'm a kid in a candy store. And where I want to know is my first kind of thought where I'd ask you where I want this to go is, I've trained in the martial arts loosely in my growing up, you know, my younger days, my teenage days. And then when I found Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, it's like, this is it. That was like my passion. It just like clicked. I was like, there's nothing I want to be doing more than Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So that's where I want to ask you, when did you start training? And when did it feel like you were like, wow, I love this? At what point was it? What what modality, what martial art was it? Yeah, wow. What? You know, like... like you know, we're going way back. So I've always wanted to do martial arts when I was a kid. And there was nothing. I lived in Ignace and, uh, you know, watched movies and TV. And I didn't was know just, you lived in Ignace either. Yeah, yeah, that's where I got started. So, um, you know, I remember uh, the Sears catalog coming out because that's all we had, right? And mm-hmm. seeing a karate suit and then wanting my mom, like, hey, man, order me this karate suit. Hey, geez, in the <laughs> yeah, Sears catalog? Sear, yeah, no so way. she was like, that's kind of, what are you going to do with this thing, right? But. Mm-hmm. So finally, this uh, my dad was a miner and lived uh, lived in Ignace. Um, so this guy moved there from Montreal. His name was Roger Beaumier, and he uh, he was a black belt in karate. It was uh, Shintani Wado Shintani Wado Kai is what they call it now. And uh, he started a martial arts school, and I was there. I started first day that I could. And How old were you? I was uh, thirteen. Um, thirteen years old. So I'm gonna retire soon 50 you know from the from the city i'm 55 now and it's been non-stop i've never wow. never stopped training uh you know from that day that day forward and uh always just uh a perpetual student 
you know, I never ever thought, uh, it was never in my mind that I would be coaching or leading or anything like that. I just always wanted to learn. Mm-hmm. And that kind of led me to where I am today kind of thing. It's interesting. That's that's what I've noticed from you. And, and I find there's varying degrees of people in the martial arts. There's people who want to do it for fun. There's people who want to do it for self-defense. There's people who want to do it for a hobby. And that's what I noticed from you is there's a level of people who do it and they do it to learn it and learn mm-hmm. it well and keep their mind open and keep yeah. learning constantly. Yeah, so, the, sure. so this is Ignis. You're 13 years old now. What were you watching that got you into that? Just martial arts um, movies, karate yeah. movies, Bruce Lee kind of stuff. Yeah, anything, everything. You know, I just I don't I don't know what it was, but um, I I just wanted to train in it. No, uh, you know, and and, and this uh, my first instructor, uh, Mr. Beaumier, He was uh, you know he was a hard ass. He was a hardcore dude. Um, I just remember sparring. I love to spar, but the way he did it was a little bit different like we would go to tournaments and be open style so you'd have like the hand pads and kick pads on no he didn't believe in that bare knuckle bare no padding whatsoever and uh so you're sparring in the gym in the dojo i guess they may have called it a karate at that time was like no gloves no gloves no no nothing so it was a lot of minors you know i started kids program right into the adult program and um, so a lot of the guys were rough. It was rough and uh, rough and tumble. You know, it's hard contact, not to the head typically, but you get hit there. But the body definitely. And um, you know, so that was about the first four years. Mm-hmm. Um, I did my first black belt was in was uh, in Quebec, just myself and a, a group of black belts grading me, and it was like a two and a half hour test. And uh, you know, we did all this everything you ever learned, and then got beat up a bunch, and then <laughs> I passed my first black belt. Um, so that was, I was still in high school then. And then, so, so Mr. Bomi, he started, uh, you know, opening up other schools. He was in Dryden and Atacokan and he'd travel around and I would cover Ignace. Um, and he moved up to, to, uh, Thunder Bay and started a club at, uh, it was first at EQ Jennings and then he went into Lakehead University. And in 80, 1984, I moved up here for university and joined in the club there. Um, till about 1986 and that's when he moved 86, 87 and left me the club. No way. Yeah. How many students at that time? Uh, not many. It was probably 20 to 30. It was small. Um, for an 18, you were 18, 19 at that time? Yeah. I couldn't imagine yeah. an 18 year old, 19 year old running Actually, even before that, I was in, I was in Ignace and he would come up once a month. And I was a high school student and, you know, there was a little bit bigger there. There was not a lot to do. So we had about 30 and then I'd run to Dryden and look after his club there. And so, yeah, lots, you know, a lot being that young, looking after a lot of stuff. Um, we At that time, he really wanted to um, kind of compete more in the national and provincial level. And you couldn't with that style. So, so he... Uh, when he asked, he asked the governing body, they're like, well, you got to be, you know, you're kind of there, but you got to be this Wado Rayu. So he's like, okay. And uh, there was a, a doctor living in Sulukop that was a Wado Rayu black belt and would come up and we, you know, would started training with him and changed everything over. Um, and there was some really cool stuff there just because um, the Wado the Rayu is one of the five major Japanese styles. And... Once we hooked up with them, we were able to, to you know, compete provincially and nationally and part of Karate Ontario. Um, 
we'd get instruction from Toronto. They would come up, one of the instructors would come up once a year. But we also got these two really famous instructors from that grew up in Japan. Um, and one would come in the winter, one would come in the summer. And these guys were legendary martial artists. So the called it the blood and gut guts era, you know, mm -hmm. back in, in Japan. And they were really, really well known for their kumite or their sparring. Um, and the style was uh, a style that came from Yoshin Shindo Jiu-Jitsu. So th there was a lot of the stand-up things that we'd see in Jiu-Jitsu, especially the and striking that Wado style. Kai, is that? Uh, Wado Ryu. Wado so Ryu, yeah. There's a, a little difference between the two okay. of them. And um, so, we, so we learned some really intricate stuff. Um, but back then, you know, sparring, forms, and one steps, that kind of stuff. A little bit of self-defense. So I did that till uh, at, mostly at Lakehead University and then over to Canadian Health and Fitness um, till um, 1996. And How old are you now at 96? So 96, I'm in my... Um, I don't even know. <laughs> well, 84 is when you said you came for school, right? And then you yeah, were 18, yeah. 19 at that point. Yeah, that still blows 19, me away yeah. that you were running a gym with 30 people yeah, as a 19-year-old. Sure. I, I you know, teach a kid's class at your gym, and I see how much work and prep and things you have to deal with. Was it What was it feeling like? And you yeah. were in school as well at that time? Yeah, yeah, oh. university. And then uh, I started uh, on city bus in, in 1988 when I, when I graduated uh, university. university. Yeah, and I taught that style right up till 1996. Um, I think a big change for me, I was always, you know, always concerned about my students and why were they coming to me? Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, most of them it was fitness, self-defense, mm -hmm. those two things. And I always questioned, was I giving them the best that I could? Mm -hmm. And I knew that it, that it wasn't. There was better ways to get fit. There's better ways... Definitely for, for self-defense. Mm -hmm. uh, At that time, you knew that there was oh, better yeah. ways for self-defense? Like, sure. you're teaching for Friday, sure. so that's what, like, yeah. I, I, I hope we can touch on maybe a little bit later, but, like, I tell people I do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and they go, oh, you do karate. My <laughs> my 17-year-old's yeah, black belt, you know, yeah. are they, yeah, 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 yeah you yeah, know, yeah. My, my, my father did karate. So it's, I think there's a... There's a, a big misunderstanding between, and that's where I hope we get to it and later if people keep listening till the end, we're going to establish a difference between kind of like the early martial arts yeah. versus, let's say, I don't know, the functional ones yeah, more yeah. so. So you were saying you're, you want to give people the best and you kind of were starting to feel like oh, you weren't doing that somewhat? Yeah, 100%. Um, and 1993 comes along, right? You mm -hmm. know what happened then, right? So we're, we're martial arts back then, you know, um, you get Black Belt magazine, and there was so many different kinds of martial arts. And at that time, it was always, it was like, you know, how many martial arts does it take to screw in a light bulb? It's a joke, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, well, it takes 90, you know, 99, one to screw in the light bulb, and 98 to see how they would have done it better. Mm. Because it's typically the way it was. Everyone had the answer. 1993 comes along, the UFC comes along, mm -hmm. and... Um, you remember exactly oh, where man, you were for where it? Where I was and everything, yeah. Where were... Because so, we got it on a buddy's old, and uh, it, it's like burned in my mind exactly where it was, but like you must have had to get it satellite dish, because that was, yeah. it was pretty underground at that time. It was. Uh, it was on satellite at a, at a sports bar, uh, Canadian Health and Fitness had a little sports bar in the front, um, and this John Bodner, was, he called it Bodsies, he was running mm, okay. it. Okay. And I was in there with uh, with my buddy Phil, who's running, you know, still teaches with us. Yeah. And Phil is really knowledgeable, you know, really knowledgeable guy. And some guys from work and friends. And we go in there, 
and this UFC thing. And I get these guys, they know nothing about the martial arts to come and watch and it's packed. And we don't know what to expect. And we actually make a pool. Yeah. And uh, so we have the sumo guy and kickboxer and Phil and I, Phil, uh, Phil's right into martial arts and he knows all about the Gracies. And they're really underground. Because mm-hmm. they, you know, if you didn't know, they they were jujitsu style in Brazil, straight up jujitsu. But through, you know, Brazil being um, lots of opportunity to get in fights, whether you want to or not. Mm-hmm. So they got to use it a lot. And they found, okay, this works, this doesn't work. Let's keep experimenting with this. Mm-hmm. So they put an ad in the paper that says, hey, you're a tough guy. Come on down to our gym. We'll break your arm for you. Is this well, in, in Torrance? This is in Rio. No, oh, this, this is, is in, in Rio, Rio de this Janeiro. Is whole... This is how they kind of developed it. So mm-hmm. imagine in, in a place where, you know, you don't do challenges like that. Well, they had guys lined up out the door. Mm-hmm. And they would... Um, practice their martial art on karate people, boxers, anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, what they found is nobody knew how to fight on the ground. Mm-hmm. So they kind of, you know, kind of took out what didn't work and, and found ways to make things work. And, and that's kind of the, how the style evolved. Then they moved to California mm-hmm. and they were doing that in this garage. And uh, just slowly building a reputation, uh, Art Davies being one of them. And, and, you know, this idea came, well, let's do this on pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and so, we, you know, I knew the story. Phil was right into it. And so we, you know, took the little Brazilian guy in this pool. Mm-hmm. Most people in the bar, it was funny, took a kickboxer or they took the sumo guy. Sumo guy being 400 pounds, mm-hmm. right? And then the fight starts, and we don't know what to expect. And that first fight, I don't know if you remember it. You get the kick to the, the face. Yeah, yes. so boom, just sidestep, punch on his knees, boot to the face, tooth goes out, hits the camera. And the whole, the bar went like that. It's real. It's it was not, silent. Yeah, yeah. And then it was just like, wow. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, it, it was, it was, it was, it was interesting. And it was mind-blowing, right? Yes. So we watched that and a couple of them and, and uh, man, I want to learn that, you know, and I ask. Um, By that, you're talking about the jiu-jitsu yeah, at this point? Jiu-jitsu. So that's where I think people don't understand. And with, so at this time, there was six, mo- six or seven main modalities of martial arts in there. There was the kickboxers, there were some shoot fighters, there yeah. were some karate people, and then there was this little skinny Brazilian jiu-jitsu yeah. guy. What, what would you say Hoist was at the time? 175 pounds. 175 pounds. And so he looked the, like a kid. Yes. You know, they could have put his brother Hickson in who went to a tournament in Japan mm-hmm. and, and they made that really famous uh, video choke documentary. And that was like, I, I, I had the video, or the VHS of it and, and wore that thing out. I mean, mm-hmm. that, but um, he looked the part like he was, you know, a mean looking dude. Right. Mm-hmm. And Hoist looked like a kid. Mm-hmm. And not as super experienced, and it was just it was a brilliant idea. Let's put this kid mm-hmm. in there, and you know he, uh, you know, beat everyone, right? And and for me, it was like oh, I got to learn that. Yes. You know? um, so you know, I remember asking one of these really famous instructors that I was, "What do you do with a guy like that?" You know, and mm-hmm. he's like, oh, "You don't fight him." <laughs> mm-hmm. No, that's not the answer. Not that I want to fight him, but I want to learn that. Mm-hmm. This little guy made these people look stupid, you know, mm-hmm. and that that started. So we were still teaching karate, and Phil and I were, you know, starting to investigate that. We bought these first. Uh, the only way you could get information back then there was I don't even know maybe maybe there was a black belt in Canada. I don't mm-hmm. know, but we um, we just 
got this VHS tape set. It was about $400. And on today's standards, not very good. Mm-hmm. But we just, you know, got together and we practiced and we worked at it. And we beat the hell out of each other. And it just evolved from there. So do, I want to rewind it there because I want to try to get you to do it your best explainment to like kind of the layman's because it was such a weird juxtaposition I found that first UFC because... The first fight was like this opener, the sumo guy getting kicked in the face by a kickboxer and his two flying at his face and we're like, wow, this is like, feels like yeah. Mortal Kombat. Like that yeah. was the time of the day, you know, yeah. 93, 94, and those video games For were coming sure. out. We were kids watching this, like we thought like the police were going to come in and yeah. raid this event, like midway, we thought we were doing something on the ground. But maybe break it down for the layman, Hoist Gracie, this little skinny guy in a gi, he decimated all these striking artists yeah. with no punches or kicks, yeah. barely. He a couple maybe kicks to yeah. set up takedowns, but what? How did he defeat everyone with what? What is Brazilian jiu-jitsu in that sense? So, so they had figured out through through you know one-on-one combat that most people have no idea what to do on the ground. Mm-hmm. So you took there was a you know a boxer in that he put a glove on one hand. Mm-hmm. I think he put it on his yeah his left hand. His idea was I'm going to jab, and you know hit this guy and then knock him out with my other hand. I don't care if I break it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, with they're used to this, so they kind of put their hands up, put their chin up. Hey, come and punch me. They'd use their kick to kind of keep them away. And as soon as that punch came in, they just ducked under and got the clinch. And as soon as they got on that body and then clinched, it was going in the ground. Mm-hmm. And then you know it's like these. It's like here you got this this uh, sprinter, let's say, and you throw him in the middle of a pool. He can sprint. He'll kick your butt. He'll, but in the middle of a pool, if he's never swam a day in his life, it's over. And that, that's what these guys were. As mm-hmm. strong as they were and, and uh, as good at their sport as they were, they had no idea what to do. They'd never been positions. there before, no. ever. Never ever. felt that leverage or that no. technique or anything like that, no. huh? No, not at not at all. And they just, you know, it, once that clinch happened, it was it was over. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty hard. It's why even today, when we watch when we watch MMA, you know, those wrestlers, the the ground guys have such an advantage because it's hard to stop that clinch for a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, and then the whole sports evolved over and over and over again. Um, yeah, he made it look easy. Yeah, and no time limits. You know, it was uh, to me. It was it was mind blowing. You know, I remember that I feeling to too. I remember that feeling of being perplexed, of being like, "Who is this?" This he was a host I, for us. Me and my friends being in grade, I think four or five at the time. It was like he's a household name yeah. now. This Hoist uh, Gracie is like the anaconda of the ground, yeah. who's just beating everyone. Yeah. and yeah, it just was something so unprecedented. So yeah. Yeah, 100%. And just the look of him too, right? Mm-hmm. I think the average person could identify with that because he you know, wasn't a lot of muscle. He wasn't, he was just this lanky kind of kid. And, mm-hmm. you know, and what he did was amazing. So um, you and Phil now yeah, are, are yeah, perplexed we, by this. Yeah, and now you so want it. You want it in the arsenal. Oh, yeah. yeah, we're practicing. We do it in the, even in, in, in my karate school, you know, we'd practice and do some stuff afterwards and that. And then, so by 1996, I'm, I'm done with karate. I'm, I, I, my students, you know, I, I'm always asking, you know, what do you guys want? They want self-defense. Um, you know, uh, Steven Seagal's out there doing this cool Aikido stuff. And I love Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And, and uh, so I took this opportunity. My wife had graduated university. I said, let's, that's your first year. You're a teacher. Let's travel. I had a university degree. So we, we looked around and we ended up, um, 
um, taking some time, renting on her house and going to Korea, South Korea, and doing uh, teaching. Both of us did uh, a full year of teaching. And um, we, uh, I found uh, a martial art there. There's Taekwondo everywhere. And I'm like, no, I don't want to do that. I want to do something a little bit did different. Did you go, can I, to, uh, to drive you, did you go to Korea with the intention of looking for a martial art? Or oh, 100%. Just, oh, it we was. We were going there to, we, we got the jobs ahead of time. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, they'd fly us over and they'd have our plane ticket back plus mm-hmm. um, an apartment. And, and we both had work for a full year. Nice. We actually went all of, uh, we went the end of 96, so it was fall of 96 and all of 97 or most of 97. Um, and then uh, once I got there, I got to know some of the, the teachers, they had Korean teachers in the school as well where we're teaching. And I asked one of the girls, I said, you know, can you help me find a Hapkido school? She just got a, a phone book. <laughs> And uh, went through it, found the closest one and brought me there, introduced me to the instructor. He spoke no English whatsoever. And um, the guy taught, you know, classes from 4.30 to last class started at 9.30 at night. You could stay as many as you want. And it was six days a week. And I'm like, I'm home. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I started training there in uh, in, uh, in Hapkido. And he also did Thai boxing. He, there was um, my instructor and two other, he had two really close friends. Um, and we would train on Saturdays at one of their schools, either our school or one of their schools. And they also did Thai boxing. So I got to do some of that. Nice. And um, yeah, it was a great experience. Um, barely anyone in there spoke a word of English. I had yeah, one, once in a while a, a student who university student or something would you know come and and uh, take me under his wing and we'd talk and he'd explain stuff you just you learn by doing but i had about 18 years of i was already i had two black belts at the time when i went so mm-hmm. i had a pretty good understanding of of martial arts and uh and you know great experience i wouldn't trade that for anything in the world it was, mm-hmm. uh, yeah so was for awesome. for the common listener probably hapkido wasn't the style that you saw in the ufc it wasn't brazilian no. jiu-jitsu it's a different style and right. it to me it's it's when I feel you do it on me, or I felt people do have key on me, it hurts. It, yeah, it's yeah. it's joint locks, but yeah. from standing, kind of. Yeah. You well, how would you describe it in your yeah, own words? Um, well, it came from uh, a martial art called Daito Waki Jiu Jitsu, and you know, it was a lot of attacking the joints, so fingers and wrists and elbows and and. Uh, you know, shoulders and the knees and things like that. Um, because it's a Korean martial art, lots of kicking as well. All Korean martial arts seem to be very gifted at kicking. Mm-hmm. And um, it was for self-defense, you know. Okay. So people grab you and then you, you manipulate their joint in some way to pain compliance or a throw. Um, same, this it, it had the same lineage as Aikido, which is, you know, people know from Steven Seagal. The difference is more in attitude, where um, Japan at the end of the war, you know, uh, after Hiroshima and, and the bombing, um, the man who created Yoshiba, who created Aikido, was looking more for something to unite the world. So the idea being, if I come to grab you, you would throw me on the ground, not really break my joint, hurt me, keep throwing me till I learn my, my way mm-hmm. and stop. Where the Koreans, of course, just went through... Uh, the, the Japanese had an, invaded and stayed there till the end of the war, and they were looking for more, you know, an aggressive, and we're mm-hmm. not going to let this happen again, that kind of thing. So, 
um, a lot of the special <clears throat> forces and uh, the bodyguards of the presidents and things like that use Hapkido to you know as as their main tool for training. So it was it was it was um, learned a lot from it. it was very interesting. Um, living in Korea itself had its own uh, had you know it was such a foreign I was country. Gonna say that's a big culture difference. Yeah. I, I I actually had the chance of I lived in a Korean temple Buddhist temple at one point in my life and. It was drastically different. Yeah, the way they, they sure. we had children in the temple, and the way they child reared it was yeah. just like night and day. Yeah. Uh, North American, most North American kids wouldn't last yeah. a week in that environment. We'd be 100%. calling police or whatever, and that's what I'd be curious to ask about the martial art. Was it where I was alluding to with the temple is that they they were they were disciplinary. Yeah, and was that did you see that in, in the yeah, Hapkido oh yeah, when, sure. when think, you took it? Uh, you know, if the kid did something wrong, you know, they'd be doing push-ups with almost like a, a V V push-up and the, the instructor would have the shin-eye. That's exactly Kendall, what these and did. And that butt come up and we wow! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but, you know, technically they're still at war, right? North yeah. and South. They, they, uh, they were technically still at war. So training was hard. Training was tough, and they, they took it serious, you know. Every male was in the military. Mm-hmm. If the alarm went off, they had a place to go or whatever they were, you know, wherever they had to go. They all had to do two and a half years of military service. Mm-hmm. So They you still know, they do do this, it at this yeah, day, Oh, yeah, sure, it's yeah. still the same, you know. Um, yeah, and, and there was a few incidents. When we first got there, we didn't know what the hell was going on. It's this way it's going to be. But what had happened is a North Korean sub had... <clears throat> Uh, crashed in the, in the south waters like um, and they went ashore and there was about not a crew of 90 with 15 commandos well the the crew the commandos killed the crew their own the north korean crew and because they didn't want them to be captured and and just started hiking for the north through mm-hmm. the south so the whole south korean army was out on patrol that when we got there you know and it was this military everywhere and we're like holy crap is this what it's like here mm-hmm. but you know there's a few incidents like that where we didn't know what was going on the sirens were going off um and um you know you 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 felt the the reality of what they live with every day mm-hmm. you know you go to the dmz in seoul <clears throat> the, the demilitarized zone and you're looking across and you know these little things in binoculars yeah. and you can see the North Koreans looking back at you you know and yeah and they have um, spent a lot of money like 25% of their gross national product on their military at the time and it was all all facing Seoul you know so it was uh, wow. yeah it was, it was it was it was different they also were very you know been invaded a lot so they're very protectionist and they there wasn't a lot of English signs Mm-hmm. Um, we traveled a lot when we were there in Hong Kong and Japan and Thailand and things like that, and and we felt really we felt it easy to get around. Lots of things in English, you know, the most common language, mm-hmm. international language. Korea wasn't like that, so you know, every day just taking a cab somewhere or getting yes, a haircut was, <laughs> yeah, trying you. to communicate was was uh, was challenging, you know, but you know, makes it stronger. My yeah. wife and I together, uh, I think it was really bo- good bonding experience for us. Yeah, that is pretty cool. I've heard that. You guys, you were married at that point, right? Yeah. I've heard that. My, my parents, they said they marriage counseled. Well, they did a long time ago through the church. And they, they said that was like advice for couples often was as soon as you, when you get married, leave for a year. 
Like, you know what I mean? Because yeah. you set your own, you establish your own yeah. routines, you your own, you know, yeah. your own traditions and stuff. You know, yeah. the families can often pull people in directions. Kids come in and play real quick. Yeah. So after, what what was it that made you leave there after two years? Like, well, was it just time to go? Was it yeah, just... Uh, yeah, well, we, we uh, had my job waiting. So I, you know, went back to that. My wife had had enough too. It was a go, go, go life. It was just enough. So we, we, we came back and... Uh, um, you know, I right away, my old students like, Hey, come on, what are you doing? Let's, you know, you want to train? And mm-hmm. I you know I just started training with them privately, quietly, and they loved what we were doing. Um, I found hap, like the, the style of hap keto that I did was maybe all the kicking and things like that. Maybe not, um, the greatest for, for the North Americans. So I kind of studied a few of the different styles and I, I chose to, you know, teach a combat that was called combat hap keto at the time, a little more North American uh, and very self-defense based. So, mm-hmm. you know, I started with that and then I believe it was 98. I opened up uh, on May Street. We got a little school there. And so when you came back, you still had students ready yeah. and kind of lined oh, yeah. up. Good to oh, go. yeah. yeah. You know, Phil was still around. He was doing some MMA at the time while okay. I was gone. And I, I believe he did some of these smoker shows back, you know. And, what are and smoker shows? They're just like in bars and stuff like that. Like you it's, go into a bar and fight someone. Yeah, they've got shows oh on. And you, yeah, and this guy's like, hey, you want to fight? Yeah, fight this guy. <laughs> no way. Yeah. And... Um, yeah, it was just getting going. Like it was, it was. So this is ninety what now yeah, that you're back? You know, ninety eight. Okay, so the UFC's been out for five years. Yeah, it's been really kinda, underground then. Yeah, still probably not televised too much no, or or anything no. of that sort. So you come back and now it's you, Phil, and you said you. That's where May Street was. Yeah, and that accepted. you know I advertised like Combat Hap Keto, and man, it just took off like crazy, mm-hmm. and. Um, you know, I kind of did my thing, right? So there was the joint locks and that of combat hapkido. I loved the striking and it would be kind of, you know, like pad work and things like that, basics. And we started to do some ground, ground mm-hmm. grappling. And that was all kind of, people weren't ready then for, you know, training and t-shirts and, and shorts and no belts. That just mm-hmm. didn't happen. That was not going on at that time. There was no MMA. Mm-hmm. There wasn't the word MMA. But we were doing it. So we kind of had three aspects to it. <clears throat> so it was... Um, and then we had guys that kind of really wanted to do more of, you know, let's start sparring and add in wrestling and that. So we started the, um, oh, just on the weekend, a Saturday, come in and do... Um, basically, it was MMA. Mm-hmm. And we called it Kick and Shoot, the Kick and Shoot Club, you know. And um, so so uh, Ryan Landgraf started at that time with mm-hmm. from LU with wrestling and uh, kind of introduced some wrestling. And um, that's how we evolved. Um, so we were at May Street for a couple of years. Uh, we got over, we went over to uh, need a bigger spot. And we went in with the Thunder Bay Judo Club in uh, 2001. So, this, so following the Kingsman Center... Or not the Kingsman, sorry, uh, May Street. You, how many students are you talking? Looking oh at now? man, eighty. Eighty students. Oh yeah, easily. Yeah, wow. we had. So I started a combat hap keto class, an hour and a half, and it was just there's no room. So then I started to I teach and then teach another one right after. Yes. Um, so we needed a little more space, and that's when we went over to the Kinsman Center, and uh, we were there a good ten years. You know, at the Kinsman Center. So um, two thousand and one. 
That's when you went to the Kinsman yeah. Center? Now, for people, I'm just curious what it must have felt like for the people. Like, Ryan Landgraf is is a pretty talented wrestler. Yeah. So what was it's it like monster. for the people? And people don't know him. He's a rather strong individual. Um, what was it like for the people going up against a wrestler who have no wrestling? Like, was it kind of, was there a weird dichotomy of people yeah. no skill versus skill? And, like, um, how did that balance out? You know what? We just... You know, we just trained in, um, you know, he would teach what he was doing. So he would teach some takedowns and then, but he was learning striking. So he, you know, he was learning some stand up stuff and, and it was, it was good. You know, we had it, you know, sometimes people would come in and, and always had that. You'd push the, they'd push the limits a little bit and, mm-hmm. and try some stupid stuff. But, um, you know, it just kind of went like that. Uh, once we got in the Kinsman Center, we started to separate things a little instead of, so over the years and combat hap keto was kind of became our self-defense program started to teach a straight up brazilian jiu-jitsu program and then our striking was more it, it turned into just mma and um, so we had mma we had um, the self-defense as combat hap keto we have brazilian jiu-jitsu mm-hmm. and um then they they had uh with self-defense as well they started adding some stick and, and knife defense and things like that <clears throat> Um, and so those years were really about developing the skill and the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and MMA. Um, and we, we were doing that right through till what our first first MMA, pro-MMA match was 2007, like January of 2007. Wow, so you had a full six, seven years yeah, of, really of training and all the Brazilian modalities. Jiu-Jitsu, yeah. Yeah, we were way ahead of the curve. I remember mm-hmm. uh, uh, back then there was like the Canadian underground was, you know, MMA and people get on there, mostly Ontario people talking about MMA and somebody brought up, you know, who who are the first, you know, clubs in MMA in, in Ontario, Canada. And it was uh, Carlos Newton, you know, that is. I've heard the name. So he, he, he was uh, early, early in Canada, the big MMA guy, went to Pride. And he actually won the UFC belt um, and, and okay. uh, lost it to, I think, Pat Militich, who I think was the one that beat him. Okay. And so he had a, you know, he had a club. There was... Um, Where was his club based in, out of? In Southern Ontario. Southern Ontario. Yeah. And there was, there was a couple others. Uh, Jeff Jawson's club was around a long, long time. So he, he fought in the UFC as well. And um, Combat Arts, you know, Danny was really early, our, our jiu-jitsu, uh, our, our jiu-jitsu uh, coach. And, you know, when this big thing came up and they're like, uh, I don't know who it was, but somebody from down there is like, man, these MMA, these guys in Thunder Bay, they've been doing MMA so long. It was way before the words even came out. Like MMA, the, you know, mm-hmm. the phrase MMA was was coined long after we were already doing that. So, so we've been at a long, long, long haul, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, first, uh, uh, our first, yeah, pro match. Um, it's on sure dog and stuff like that because there was stuff before that but was mm-hmm. Matt Veal mm-hmm. in uh, in Wisconsin and in uh, so that was that was crazy lots of people went down and uh, you know he won his he won his match in the second round you were but, head coach then yeah what was what was the feelings like tell me what it was Man, like it was nuts because eh? we, we go in there and, and we don't know what to expect the guy that's running it's a promoter there is no commission so a commission is an athletic commission, like a boxing commission, typically looks after the fighters. They weigh them in, make sure that the fights are even. Um, well, there's none of that. It's essentially a exist. governing body for yeah, safety purposes, for safe, for making safety. sure people are getting their doctors. For sure. Like all, all that, that kind stuff. of stuff in line. There was none of that. Nothing. So it's just you want to fight, 
and the promoter, he's just worried about making money, right? Yes. So, yeah, there's mismatches, weight-wise, all that kind of stuff. You have a guy who's never fought before. He's a street fighter against some guy who's training. You have while well, somebody pulls out, doesn't show up, so the promoter has a guy fight twice. You know, he fights first match. He fights the eighth match. Jeez. So in the first uh, first one, this guy, on his, on his record, he got armbarred on his right arm and tapped and then like five fights later he lost by armbar again on the same arm you know and I mean, we were watching this and and uh, some of the characters it was crazy like to just you know people that just all kinds well-trained jacked guys you know that look like they should be in the ufc too um guys who are just looking for some trying to get respect somehow, right? Gotcha. Like just, you know, hey, uh, this will do it, right? I'm just going to go in there and I tell all my friends I'm an MMA fighter. Yeah. So, yeah, it was pretty wild. And, Were you uh, nervous for your fighters oh, at that yeah. point? Oh, God, yeah. Always, always. Um, uh, I was pretty confident with Maddie that, that one. He won it. Yeah, the place went nuts. And then everyone wanted to fight after that, right? So <laughs> we went down a few times at the same place and just crazy stories, crazy after parties. One of the, I think, uh, Nathan Gunn, uh-huh. of course, he's well known in Thunder Bay. He had yes. two, like his first two fights. First fight, he gets this um, bouncer guy, big, way bigger than him. Yeah. Just comes running at him for a takedown. And, and um, the promoter, because he's kind of a sociopath, he, like, he allows knees to the head on the ground. Mm-hmm. Which knees to the head on the ground is super dangerous. Super. Pride used to do it, pride rules in Japan. Super dangerous. Well, Nathan... You know, sprawls on this guy, so he's on top, and he's got his head in his belly, and he's dropping knees like, like from the ceiling, pretty much. And yes. he hits this guy in the head about twelve times, and finally the guy goes limp. And um, you know, you see him in the back, and these waltz are just kind of starting yeah, to pile yeah, out of his yeah. head, um, stuff like that, you know. And then Nathan, his next fight after that, I believe, um, was probably the worst injury I've seen, uh, personally seen in in a cage. He, uh, he had just had a sur- had surgery for his uh, nose. Uh, he had a deviated septum. This is Nathan? Yeah, Nathan. Yes. And he's fighting a guy, and there's all this buzz in in this in this place. There's all these people there to, to watch this guy. He's some really well-known street fighter from Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. And um, so they go at her, and this guy just comes flying across the cage just like fast and quick punches and he catches Nathan in the nose and Nathan just like <sighs> sees red nose explodes oh man and he uh, they end up this big exchange and they fall on the ground and Nathan gets mount on this guy and uh, the ref the refs were not trained they were just friends of the promoter Jeez. so uh, Nathan is lands this and he's a he's a like Nathan's tough he's just made mm. of iron and he hits this guy with an elbow in the mouth and the guy's mouth guard spit out, and Nathan hits him with this massive elbow. The guy was probably already unconscious. The ref doesn't know it. And blood starts to squirt, like as if you were laying on your ground on the ground, and a you know a kid had a little squirt gun, and he was squirting this every time the guy's heart would beat about oh, four no. feet in the air. Yeah. So the place goes nuts, and then it's just silent, and it's just. Yeah, it was it was crazy. Jeez, heart's kind of sick. Yeah, because right? obviously you're not you don't want to be a part of, oh, of that kind yeah, of situation too. Exactly. And his this guy's girlfriend's sitting behind me, and I'm cornering, and she's she's gone in shock. Oh, no. So I'm trying to 
help her out and you know take care of Nathan and hope this guy's not dead you know, mm-hmm. the guy was okay he just needed a lot of stitches but it, it was you know really scary you know um, probably the worst injury I've seen in, and seen broken legs and things Seems like that pretty brutal yeah. at that time yeah it was just because uh, you know nobody's looking out for these guys at that time right the fighters um, though this guy was was obviously uh, you know been in a lot of street fights once they hit the ground he had no idea what was going on mm-hmm. so but he was okay He'd, he did end up fighting again at some point after that um you know and, and that's the way it went and then we you know we got to our first commission show um we were in wisconsin at that time uh minnesota got commissioned um first and we did our first commission show at them and, and and it was it was uh it was really strict um it was a former boxer that was running it old guy fought muhammad ali no way. hated mma <laughs> thought it was a bunch of disrespectful punks so it was super strict and uh but but it was i was glad right i was yeah. i was happy you had weigh-ins you had you know people looking out for you so um so you know we did we did that and then uh on to our first canadian fight it was in calgary and it was uh nathan gunn and matt beale went out to mm-hmm. some shows out there and uh you know they made really made some na- uh, name for themselves mm-hmm. and, and fought in some some really big shows out there and then Always lots of guys joining, and Dave Letourneau was, uh, you know, did really well. Andrew Elliott was a, a, a really big name in MMA. Um, he was an LU wrestler, fought mm-hmm. four or five fights for us, and easily would have been a, a UFC star, but he got concussed here in town, like a concu- some concussion issues. Um, so he ended up moving to Adrenaline in, uh, as, you know, in London, mm-hmm. and um, they call him the mad scientist there, and he's responsible for... Uh, their last two UFC guys that have gotten into the UFC, basically credit to him just because he really is a mastermind. Great striking, great wrestling. You know, we had a lot of guys like that over the years coming in and out. You know. Mm-hmm. Do you find, man, that, and that's a curious question, and maybe a, a different vein away from the MMA is, I find you said before the wrestlers make the best transitions, and and oh, yeah. in in that proverbial question, you know. What is the best modality? And people argue this, you know, people online, yeah. Brazilian jiu-jitsu or wrestling, it kind of sways back and forth that. But I even wonder with Muay Thai, like you have children yourself and you, yeah. we, I, I think I've asked that question a long time ago and I'm kind of curious to hear your answer again. Out of all the martial arts, you, it seems like, uh, it could be wrong, it seems like you steered them towards wrestling and why. I, I did, for sure. Um, a couple of reasons. One, if... I don't know what they wanted to do, right? If they wanted to do MMA, they were young when they started wrestling and they did love MMA. So if they were going to do MMA, having a, a, a base in wrestling was really important. I mean, we could see that for a bunch of reasons. One, the ability to take it to the ground anytime they wanted. Um, the work ethic and the, you got to be in, you got to be in shape. Mm-hmm. Um, I, people don't see that. That's why no, people can't even sport. imagine that when you, oh. when you go to a wrestling practice, it's, it is repetition after repetition yeah. after repetition. And that's not like, like we talked the difference between karate and, and, and mixed martial arts. And, and wrestling is one small facet of, of mixed yeah. martial arts. And I don't think people see or understand how much goes into a wrestling practice. You want yes. a disciplined, you know, tough, well-routine kid, put him in wrestling because yeah. it's going gonna, it's gonna to grind them and build them back up. Yeah, 100%. Plus, the, the problem up here is always <clears throat> competition. You don't want somebody to go, and I had fighters mm-hmm. never competed before and went into a pro MMA. 
So mm-hmm. think about walking down that walk, you know, lights yeah. on, you know, door shuts, click. Are you ready? I don't know. <laughs> yes. You know, because they've never competed in anything before. You live up in Thunder Bay and you, if you've never wrestled or did, you know, so I always wanted them to compete as much as they can. Uh, and then in wrestling, point. you know, they're, they're the club, they go to tournaments from little kids, right? And and the club and the Garvey and those ones in town and then you hit high school and you're wrestling mm-hmm. all the time. So you're, you're getting that experience in front of people and mm-hmm. uh, competing, you know, yes. two minute matches, three minute matches. And, um, you know, it was a chance to go to school. Like, my youngest now is in university. So it was a chance to wrestle, you know. Yeah, you're saying that I guess there's opportunity for, for it, sure. right? If, if you get scholarships, scholarships and wrestling. Kind of for sure. Wrestle for your country. He's, he's wrestled in every tournament that our country has. Medaled in everyone from nationals to Canada Games, Ontario Games. Mm-hmm. So now, you know, for him, his, his goal is to wrestle at some point for Canada and something. Pan Ams or something like that. But, um, yeah, it's, it's um, you know, we, we hadn't uh, done MMA at our gym for a little bit. And then to go back to coaching it. And, you know, I remember Josh and I were like, holy crap. <laughs> you know, that wrestling up on the cage. And yes. That, you know, it's grueling. It's the hardest part of the MMA is just, you know, there's no rest. The body on top of you just grinding. And then, yeah, it's, it's tough. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, you know that's kind of why I, I kind of steered them that direction and um, and um, the the old my older son Devin he he was always a really good striker and he he wrestled right through did really well in high school and uh, medaled at offs and everything and he's just like no man I want to box and that's where he's at right now good to and that's a tough that's a tough sport it's tough and boxing is tough what I wonder about the wrestling though and this is and correct me if I'm wrong is. And I find it's like this with all martial arts, and you use the analogy of swimming and drowning before. But when you train at that level of intensity with your hands on someone day in, day out, it kind of turns the volume down a little bit. Like I remember that they say that in Fight Club, after you fight two or three times, the volume on everything kind of seems turned down a little bit. And that's what I think most people don't see about fighting is you're kind of comfortable and relaxed yeah. as weird. And maybe not fully relaxed, but more aware than the average person in that heightened situation. So yeah, sure. I just wonder if that intensity of wrestling is, is maybe helpful towards that mentality of learning in the moment. Almost. Yeah, 100%. And, and you do it every day, right? It's mm-hmm. every day. It's every day. And of course, um, like, like my son will tell you, he loves wrestling really skilled guys. Like better rather than some grinder, some he loves that. Even though he's gonna get his butt kicked, mm-hmm. you know, he, uh, he he loves that. It's just that that challenge and and just how smooth and slick things are. Even if you're getting, you know, you're losing. He just loves working with, whether it's in competition or whatever. With yeah, and and I think it's that pace that it goes at, and it's the mind game. It's more of a mental game, mm-hmm. um, you know, rather than just brute force. And there's a lot, there's a lot to it that way. Um, Did you find putting your kids in, in well, I, wouldn't, I don't know if you classify wrestling as a martial art, well, I don't know what the technical term is, a sport, but did you find that impacted them for their focus, for their, for their behavior, anything in that regards? Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, um, to be successful at it, you have to work. You have to work really, really hard. And it's not a sexy sport, right? They're in this mm-hmm. sport where, you know, yeah, their friends will come and watch them, you know, annihilate people here in in town and they're like yeah that's cool but it isn't football like i mean you know 
Mm-hmm. Football's cool for these kids in high school. Yes. The girls are like, whoa, you know, and they're not out there typically for their, even the basketball and all that, but not, yeah. not, not. The wrestling's, wrestle the wrestling's in the stinky dungeon room yeah. that's padded. And, yeah, and you're wearing this, this little singlet thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, and, and they do it because they love it. And uh, yeah, and it just makes them tough, you know. But those, those are the skills. And what I love about combat sports. <clears throat> whether it's wrestling or boxing or all that, is that you have to be in the moment, one. Mm-hmm. Yes, and that's what I was alluding to. You almost. have to be yeah. in the moment. If you're not in the moment, you get your ass kicked. That's just the way it is. You lose focus, you get your ass kicked. Um, and you come out face-to-face with your ego every single time you spar, uh, wrestle a match, mm-hmm. just train with a partner. He hits you too hard or he does something. You got to let it go, right? You can't, mm-hmm. you, you know, or you lose. You got to let it go. You, you know, you, mm-hmm. what, did I, what, did I, what did I learn from this? And, and what I found in the, in, in the traditional martial arts was that didn't happen. Um, a lot of times, you know, there was, no, there was no touch. We're controlling our techniques and things like that. And um, when, I, when I would sit down, I remember going to Toronto one time and there was a big competition and sitting and listening to black belts and stuff like that. I didn't know anybody. I just went up there to compete and I, I come back and I just thought, these are some of the most arrogant people I've ever met in my life. Really? They talk about honor and all these, you know, traditional things, but then you hear them talking about this guy and this guy and this guy. And, and there wasn't a lot of respect, um, partly because they weren't getting their butts kicked. Even when you lost, it was very arbitrary. It was a point given, you know, oh, he wasn't close enough in that technique, you know. Mm-hmm. In combat sports, you, 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 you're you off on it. You, you know, you have a day off. You get you get beat up. You get hurt. You, get, you lose a match. It's obvious you've lost, right? Mm-hmm. And you come face-to-face with that ego, um, and, and I really like that. I found that there was a lot more respect given... Um, just because people work hard, because um, you know their determination and that kind of stuff, it was mm-hmm. real. The the first time I went to a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu seminar with a really high level guy was John Machado, so cousins of the Gracies. I just love the attitude from coming from where you know you, a master, you call everybody master and and that kind of stuff too. Hey man, hey my friend, and then give me a knuckles yes. and, and then he beats the living hell out of you and then he gives you a hug. Yeah. And first time you meet him, he's hugging you. You come to my place, you come and you come and yeah. visit, you know, Rio. And yeah. and I just thought, man, this is the way it is. This guy is. He sat and there was thirty people in that seminar, and he sat in the middle and beat us all up one at a time. Thirty mm-hmm. people in a row, just. Did whatever he wanted with us. And uh, there was no ego whatsoever. He hugged you. He was just the friendliest guy. And I mm-hmm. said, yeah, that's martial arts right there. We had a ton of respect for him. Mm-hmm. you know, And he respected us the same. And I, I, I just love that. Um, I love uh, combat sports. I, just, I see that all the time. You guys mm-hmm. go in there. They go to war. And they're best friends after for life. Yes. You know, I, I see it all the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, because they respect each other, that's a, that's a hard part. That's what you know. You were you were talking about the MMA before, and and it can be. It was a very brutal sport at one time. I think much better now. I think yeah, pe- there's sure. a big because. misconception that people see it as very brutal, and when it's not, it's very controlled yeah. and very uh, calculated. But that's what it's missed out hugely. I feel like you know people often. Think, I want to put my kid in a martial art because it's discipline and all that. But 
holy moly, when you put in a real contact sport, like what you learn for your being and, yeah. and your ego and, and really losing, yeah. not just losing, like you said, in a match of some point game system, but being slammed down and maybe your breath going <gasps> knocked out of your wind and, you know, people are watching you and you're embarrassed and, you, you know, it's, it's, it's very humbling. And, yeah. and that learning, you know, I, I alluded to, to, to my stepdaughter was just in a tournament and she got creamed. And you said, and, and it was the same thing I told her right after, and she wasn't ready to hear it right after, but it's what you said to me. You were like, good. I'm glad. That, that's great. That's awesome. That's, that's the best learning you could ask for. Yeah. You go somewhere and you win and you do great. You don't learn from win. You learn from winning. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But losing is the way better teacher than, uh, than winning is, yeah. right? Yeah. Anybody who's been in it uh, you know, a while will tell you that you know, that's when they... Um, my son went to a boxing tournament and... Um, out of 13 people there, he was probably second best. Uh, Skill-wise, he was number one. He didn't have the experience, you know. So he comes up against a guy, you know, he's pros in his corner and, and trains with a national team guy, and he, he loses a, a decision. Best thing that could have ever happen to him. If he'd have won that match, how hard would he have to have worked? In a big tournament, mm-hmm. biggest tournament Canada's ever had. Mm-hmm. How hard would he work after that? I don't, he, maybe, you know, he's a hard worker, but... When he came back, it was, I need to do this, 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 this. Had it all down. I didn't have to coach him on it. And mm-hmm. just changing everything. Because it's a learning experience, right? Mm-hmm. It's the first time for him to go to a tournament. And uh, um, I couldn't ask for more, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and a lot of times, that's, that's what we need. We, we, it, gives us, it gives us focus. What do we need to work on? Um, and we see it in the gym. You can see with sometimes with with little matches and kids get so upset, they get mounted, whatever, and they get so upset. And it's like, let's have it happen here. Mm-hmm. And it's a very safe and in our gym. You get taken down, whatever it may be, rather than out there, you mm-hmm. know, when, or, you know, in a tournament or whatever. And that's why, you know, I always used to say that with, with my guys when we were training MMA and stuff is... Let's have you get mounted here and somebody punching you here and let's deal with it here because it'll never happen out there in the cage or anywhere else. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And we don't think about that. We just think about winning, especially this generation. You know, yes. this generation, it's just... Uh, well, speaking of this generation, that's what I've, I've been talking to people a lot about with the success of kids Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And it's just that hands-on with other kids. Like, I work in a school and, and rightfully so, you know, with the era we're in right now, there's no contact and so kids aren't learning that appropriate play like whereas we yeah. wrestled before we played combat we played i remember playing foot tackle football with no equipment like falling yeah. your head bouncing off the ground you know what i mean teachers never broke it up kids aren't learning that now siblings are also greatly reduced like i grew up in a family of six kids have generally one or two now in a family so they're not getting beat up by siblings so i just see even more of a need for for jiu-jitsu and combat yeah. arts in kids lives like they just take to it like uh, yeah like white on rice like yeah. it's it's nuts how they love it yeah for sure 100 percent. what what i've seen um your program isn't even a year old you know mm-hmm. and and we'll walk in there and man the skill level and these kids just can't get enough of it mm-hmm. um you know especially seeing those little girls go in there and just <laughs> and on this you know on another kid's back or mount and and um and uh, i mean you could have 20 classes like that you mm-hmm. know and it's just yeah, it's wonderful to see. Very everything is very um, useful. It's very uh, you know. Um, a lot of times in martial arts, it's hard 
we don't even know where some of this stuff came from, right? Mm-hmm. One steps and, and you have, um, there's no aliveness to it. Um, everything about what you do in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is, is realistic. It's body on body, similar to wrestling, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's super cool. So with that, that being said, you, you raised your children in wrestling. My stepdaughter is in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And even segueing to talking about girls because, yeah, I, I love coaching girls because they don't have that thing that boy, boys are just distractible, right? They look around. Yeah. Girls listen and they use the technique, right? Yeah, and the technique... Sure. I love Conor McGregor saying, you know, precision. What is the, I'm gonna botch it now that I'm put on the spot, but it's precision beats power, or do you know that one? Speed timing beats speed, right? Yeah. So it's it's technique based. And yeah. I botched that right hard, but it's essentially, and the girls learn the technique. But in all these, there's there's you know so many things. There's wrestling. There's Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. There's Muay Thai. If, uh, this is the proverbial question: is what would be the best to learn if you really were out there in the street and someone starts attacking you? What would you want under your belt? What would you, so would you know you people want? people ask right? What's the best martial art? So um, there isn't an, there isn't a, the answer is what's you know what are your goals? There's a best martial art for you. It might be a, a you know a different one for someone else. So you always got to start with what are your goals. Mm-hmm. Um, so if your goals are self-defense, yeah, there's there's probably a, a better way to train. I don't think there's a best martial art, but there is a better way to train, and mm-hmm. that, that's a hundred percent. My own experience, I love the combat sports because everything you do, you do for real. So combat sports, you're talking about striking, um, or nope. just or just um, wrestling is a combat sport. Okay. Brazilian jiu-jitsu is a combat sport. Boxing, Muay Thai. where where, what we're doing we're doing for real with aliveness so every time you get in the gym your kids are taking each other down they're dominating position Mm -hmm. mount up against the wall ground imagine if they get into a tussle with someone who's never trained before how Mm -hmm. easy that'll be for them because they do it all the time same with the wrestler getting with somebody that has never stopped a takedown doesn't know how to do it you know bang it's easy for them a boxer because they do it every day. Mm-hmm. Um, what I found with, you know, when I when I studied karate, uh, not to put karate down, there's some styles of karate or, or just gyms where they had, they're like, there was Fred Simonitis in town. He's an old, old guy. And man, they used to beat the hell out of each other. And they were tough guys, but that's back in the day. When I studied it, and my thought was, you know, now that I teach boxing, especially when I when we, we hit every single time we're in the gym, right? We're, we're we're training on each other. We're hitting the bag, and you 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 punch like a foot through the target. That's where you're focusing. When I trained in martial arts in karate specifically, I trained to miss, and I missed for twenty years. Right? What do you mean by you training? So if I we're we're sparring. Here's a point. Is here. Oh, because you can't make full contact. Yeah, you face. can't make it's any very contact kick or, the, or the body, anything. Right? It oh. used to be don't touch. Now, now rules have changed, and there's some light contact. Even that light contact, I had so many people come in and try to make the transition. I'm like, no, I need you to. Where's the power? Come on, hit. Yeah. And they can't because they've trained you know, 10, 15 years to either to pull. Mm-hmm. So it's really difficult. So now you get into a situation where you have to defend yourself. We, mm-hmm. This guy is trained in beating the crap out of people on the street, and you're trained with, you've trained for ten years on how to miss someone. 
Because yes. that's the, the the honest answer. Give a guy You're with a rough life, a kid who had a rough childhood yeah. and got beat up in the streets a few times, yeah. he's going to beat someone who has oh, 12 yeah, years definitely. of karate, hands down. Well, you know, Not hands down, everything, but, you everything know, is, relative, you know, right? comes down to those two people. And, you mm-hmm. know, I've seen some, some and, and karate is like fruit. You know, there's bananas, there's oranges. Like a George St. Pierre was a Kyoshinkai black belt. Mm-hmm. That's a tough martial art. It's karate. It's mm-hmm. tough. It's full contact. You don't punch to the face, but everything else is full contact. Your head. Mm-hmm. Those guys are some of the toughest people going, right? Mm-hmm. They make really good transition into MMA, into kickboxing and stuff like that. So, you know, using that term, I guess karate is not, you know. But, you know, that's, I, that's just my experience with what I did. You know, so I, I can't speak for everyone, but yeah, I trained to miss for years and years and years, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, for me, the combat sports, if you, you know, your goal is street self defense, I need it for my job, mm-hmm. and that's what I'm getting a lot of that right now calls for people that need it in their work. The grappling mm-hmm. arts is what I have to teach because you can't punch somebody in the face, elbow them in the face and keep your job if you're a paramedic or a police officer or something like that. Mm, it's nice point. to have those skills. Yes. To You know, you get jumped by three people or something. Hey, it's great to have a knockout punch. Elbows probably. <laughs> We're know, good in close kind of range in a bar, you right? But do that. You can't do that in a work no. environment, right? So the stand, especially being able to do stand-up grappling, taking the back, um, and, and keeping yourself safe is is what I would teach mm-hmm. somebody going to a war zone going to South Africa I know the group that trains there and, and there's a specific way that I would teach them and it would be extremely violent because they're going into a very violent situation oh interesting you know? So it all depends on what, what are your goals what are your needs and I get that almost every day you know somebody call, coming up and a lot of times like what people are finding out today and some of the work that, I, that I'm getting today is that um, combat sports, getting people boxing and getting in better shape. Uh, I've got people using it for addictions. So they are, you know, or they don't want to use, they're getting out there and they're, they're just, they're hitting the bag. They're doing one-on-one with me and it just keeps them, you know, it's that edge. It takes mm-hmm. that edge. They're done hitting and they're just like, oh. Mm-hmm. So they're coming to do that. There's people with, that are having anxiety um, and, and, um, um, Issues with with uh, mental illness. Yeah, there's a lot of PTSD um, studies you know, now are coming stuff. out yeah. with martial arts. Coming out and doing just come on in one on one and and we do some boxing, get them on the bag and 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 get them you know doing some some striking and stuff. Um, we have people coming into the class like that. Um, people with rough lives. We've had you know people that have been in some of the gangs and, and have come out and really, you know maybe the first class they're thinking yeah I want to learn some of this to hurt somebody. But within two weeks, they're out of the gang, and they just mm-hmm. want to learn. You know, they want to learn the art. Mm-hmm. So, it's it's interesting. Uh, uh, you know, uh, best martial art, best martial art for you. What are your goals, and what do you want? And there's definitely a best way to train those. Interesting. But, uh, yeah, that that's a that's a good answer. I never thought. I honestly didn't look at it that way. I always thought maybe Muay Thai because it's you no know, you're grabbing people, you're clinching for people yeah. don't know what Muay Thai is. It's it's kickboxing with elbows and knees yeah. and a clinch. Eight limbs. Eight yeah. limbs. Yeah. Right. Hands, elbows, knees, and kicks. Deadly martial art. 
Mm-hmm. A lot of times you probably, what about kid in the school ground, right? Mm-hmm. He's done. He's getting expelled. He goes and True. Good point, pulls yeah. on, clinches somebody, knees him in the face. Where, you know, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, what I love about it and what you do with those kids is if they have to use that, it's always because they're in trouble. It's not, you're not teaching people to punch in the face or anything mm-hmm. like that. It's like they've been knocked to the ground. Somebody's sitting on their chest. They can deal with that. No problem. Even that close to close push, you know, shoving you, whatever, hands up. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Um, and they're not going to hurt anybody. They can take them down. They can sit on them. Yeah, enough. Choke them if they have to. But mm-hmm. for the most part, if all you know how to do is this, when the push comes to shove, you're going to do that. And sometimes that's necessary. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, most fights are started when, when I do teach self-defense, street self-defense. It's very, uh, I'd say 10 to 15 percent of it's physical. Well, that's what I was, that's where I was going to go into next. So like you have a big role in teaching self-defense. And maybe before we get into self-defense, because I'm curious to ask you and I'm yeah. really curious about this question. I think you're, Jeremy, just out of curiosity, is this mic good? Is it close enough? you think it's getting good sound on there? Yeah. And another really curious question. And I don't, I don't mind pausing just for a second. These, do these shake on the table when it's going? Like, do you see that? Yeah. You do see the shake, eh? Anytime okay. I touch the table. I thought so. Um, it's not a big deal. I can put them on the ground or even on the table. It's all right. Um, so the city. You've been you've been working city transit for what? 40? 30, 31 years. 31 years. Yeah. Now, I, and I didn't get the answer to this question, but... I wondered from, is it just your your naiveness as a kid where you see the city as one way and then you grow up and, you know, now I'm noticing everything. Facebook is putting everything, everyone's mistakes online. Or has the city really gotten more dangerous for people? Um, and have know, you seen a yeah. transition at all in, yeah. in your work? You know, you know my route, I, I go from, from terminal to terminal. So I'm at City Hall mm-hmm. and I'm at Water Street. I do West Fort. I go up the current river. That kind of stuff. So, and I've been doing the same for quite some time. The last, well, we talk about this all the time, five years maybe. Mm-hmm. It's just, and the last two, they've noticed a huge change. Huge change. Um, more desperate people, mm-hmm. um, without money, uh, homeless. Mm-hmm. And we're not, you know, typically the people you see down and out. I, I mean, the high school kids even, you know, mm-hmm. there's probably a couple hundred at any time. Couch surfing, homeless, um, a lot more drugs. We, we've always known that in Thunder Bay. We're in the north, you know, Kenora, Winnipeg, us, and, and the little towns. And we have more alcohol abuse we, we have for years and, and, and more drugs. But I think, you know, it was said many times that when the hard stuff gets here, crystal meth and mm-hmm. things like that, that we're going to see a change. And we're seeing it now. Yes. We are. Um, I, work, I work in treatment and, and the kids... Who come here, you know, they're, they're savvy and they ask around or, you know, they're out, we're out in the boats in the city and, you know, they run to the odd person, they ask them questions. And, and I remember them saying like, whoa, this is the untapped market up here. Yeah. Like this, this place hasn't been tapped yet by, you know, the opioids and, yeah. and this and that. And sooner or later, you know, it, it, I don't, I'm not saying it was those kids who relayed the information back, but the information gets back to, to the business people who want to make the money and then. That's what I think we've seen an influx of people coming in from Ottawa, you know, that the police are dealing with that are, are heavily bringing in drugs that are not seen so. Yeah. Well, when I see it on the, on, you know, that city hall area, we see it different areas in town and down in Cumberland and stuff like that too. Um, but you see it getting on the bus and people behaving in ways I've never seen. 
And, and in the last two years, I know I'll tell my wife and I go, man, I saw this person. I was like, what the hell were they on? You know, mm-hmm. and they're on, I don't know what, but, and there's, everyone's looking for that next ecstasy drug, right? Or something to trying to develop something that's going to make them rich. And, and, you know, and you'll see every once in a while, something will come through town and it doesn't even have a name and it just messes people up. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and and we're seeing ODs like we've never seen before. If it mm-hmm. wasn't for that naloxone, I think we we'd have an epidemic. Do in you them, guys have to admission naloxone? We don't know. No, huh? no, no. Um, but you know, we we have to. We have more more even alcohol, right? More alcohol calls of people, you know, passing them on the bus or, or seeing them on the side of the road. Mm-hmm. We're seeing more of that. Just more desperation, more people without money. Just Times have gone hard. The city's yeah. gone through a big transition, I find, yeah. from an industrial-based city that it was in the 70s and 80s to kind of more of a, you know, education, you know, healthcare yeah. system city. So so with that being said, of, of those dangers, what have you changed your self-defense programming to coincide or, or are you, yeah. you still the same thing? And what would you teach for someone in self-defense I've seen you from a distance teach the women's and you, you kind of have a whole modality of it from awareness and yeah. I'd be curious if you tell me more yeah. about that. Um, so, so I look at a couple of different ways. I, I, I look at clients coming in and maybe I get one, they're, they're not going to be coming more than once, right? So they come in for an hour to three hours. Um, so, so really important that they understand, you know, the physical part of it's 15%, maybe 10%. Um, probably 55 to 60 percent of it is psychological skills what your mind is telling you in any given moment 30 percent is emotional 25 30 percent how you're feeling in any given moment Mm -hmm. so you know from from teaching them uh, awareness and how to increase their awareness and and um, just street smarts um, to diffusing skills really important you know, being able to talk somebody down and keep their ego in check. Uh, you know, mm. this is working with women, with guys, you know, what starts fights? Testosterone, right? Alcohol. Alcohol. Uh, inability to diffuse the situation. My mm. ego doesn't allow me to. So being able to do that and to, to understand, you know, the importance of just not getting into this confrontation and letting it go and, you know, winning isn't, the most important thing, having a goal of being most important, just going home safe at the end of the day. You know, that that's so important. Uh, diffusing skills are something that everyone needs to work on, mm-hmm. and, you know, check their ego and just uh, be able to walk away. Um, the other part of it is that we're not, you know, we come from a, you know, come from a nice neighborhood and you don't see violence that often. You expect that um, people are going to behave a certain way. They're going to be nice. People will help you. When you see the fringe of society, like the homeless people and people that are living rough lives, mm-hmm. you know, hustling for drugs and stuff like that, they don't follow the same rules. They don't have that. Um, taking something is how they get around. They get by mm-hmm. every day, and they'll take it with violence, mm-hmm. and, and they become very. It becomes easy for them, and 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 so, so the average person when that when that happens, you know, there's a huge adrenaline dump. There's this adrenaline spike. And your body right away, your brain stops working, your, your, your focus mm-hmm. goes, your eyesight goes, your fine motor skills go. Usually you panic. And once you panic, it's done. It's over. You're a victim. Mm-hmm. There's, no, there's no moving. There's no doing anything. They say fight or flight. Well, there's fight, there's flight, there's freeze, freeze there's, yeah. there's faint. You know, that yeah. happens. 
Um, and most of the time, like I just saw a video where this, this, uh, street kid, he's, you know, you can tell he's been in lots of fights and he's, he's young and there's a bunch of, of ladies and they, they just don't see this stuff very often. And he's mouthing off at some lady and he's just, he looks like the Joker in the, the Batman, just kind of making this great big movement. And he just cuffs this lady, knocks her completely out and just, it's on video and he's chirping at all the rest. And they just sit there. One actually just moves her drink over. They're just all in shock. And there's a whole big group of them guys too. Not one moves. This kid's probably 14. Nobody gets up, but they just are not used to seeing that, right? Mm -hmm. So dealing with that, you know, dealing with what do I do with that when that adrenaline hits and I want to go into that panic mode, how do I keep my brain working? You know, Mm -hmm. so we go through that kind of stuff as well. And then, um, you know, how to stand and, and, and what to look for, how, how to know when someone's setting you up to jump you, hit you, punch you, whatever, that kind of stuff. And then we get into the physical. So, you know, if we do like a, they're coming in one time, that could be a three-hour session. I'll never see them again. So I want them to go away with understanding the importance of that stuff and some skills there. And then just some really simple skills that are based on... <clears throat> What happens when you get that adrenaline dump? So, it can, you know, um, your fine motor skills are gone. Biomechanically, everything's got to work. So I kind of yeah. tested things, right? Mm-hmm. And if biomechanically it doesn't work, out the window. Morally, legally, um, ethically, it's it has to. So, you know, so can't, you can't, eye, can't just take a pen and stick it in their eye or yeah. their neck, right? So, so everything has to kind of fall in, into place that way. If I notice that I can teach a group of 30 people and they all can get it, I'll, I'll teach it. If it's complicated, it's gone. If um, So that's how over 40 years I've kind of evolved. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, if um, you see that it works out on the street, you know, the wonderful thing today uh, is that there's cameras everywhere. Yes. So one of the best training tools is to watch real attacks. Right. So I've watched 200, at least 200 knife attacks. They're not easy to watch. Oh, geez. Um, A lot of people die. Oh, yeah. We're question where to get your hands on that. Yeah. Yeah. It's easy on YouTube. There's there's a site that I have that I go to. There's 200 on one site. And those people die on them. They're not fun to watch, but you Mm -hmm. learn and you learn a lot. And there's a lot of martial art. um, Theories and things like that. Well, I've seen 200 of them and, you know, (laughs) you People t- attack very much the same, and it's brutal. Um, but um, you know, it's a great learning tool, right? Mm-hmm. So you can tell what works and what doesn't work right away. So that's evidential, right? I want yeah, mm-hmm. through evidence. I've seen this works. Yeah, I'll teach it. I don't know if that's going to work. It's out. It's out. And you just it's some simple stuff, and then it's just. Um, like you training the kids in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu or I'm training a boxer or I'm training, it, it, we need resistance. So, uh, and just increasing that resistance all the time. Mm. So you can start slow, but, you know, say I got somebody like Braid who's starting to train a little bit more. She knows how to do like, come in and I choke her. She knows how to get out of that. She's really good at it now. Well, maybe then, you, you know, have somebody else come in from behind, put a knife on her or something like that. You always got to increase the resistance. Increase. That doesn't happen in, in the self-defense world. It's weird. I trained, we had two of our MMA guys, Trent and um, Devin fighting, uh, MMA fight recently, and Devin's fighting again soon. You've seen how hard those guys trained, right? Mm-hmm. Our MMA program now, for people that don't know, 
They train um, in our regular boxing, our regular kickboxing, wrestling, and Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Mm-hmm. And then twice a week, we put it all together. Mm-hmm. And it's been working phenomenal. Mm-hmm. These guys are a year of training. They are prepared. They, our last show, they looked like the pros on, you yes. know, there was one pro on that, that he was an elite pro. And those two guys were up there. And, you know, they were heads and tails above everybody else. And that's a short amount of time for training. So they do this kind of work, and yet with, in the self-defense world, you're up against typically somebody skilled in violence, meaner, mm-hmm. <laughs> on drugs, wants something of yours and doesn't care about you mm-hmm. and is going to hurt you. And they're usually big, mm-hmm. whatever. They don't, violent people don't go and pick on some huge guy. They try to find a victim. Mm-hmm. And yet, you know, when you watch the training, it's like, you know, somebody comes up and they choke and you get out of it and you giggle and... Um, and it's so far removed from what you actually need. Mm-hmm. It's it's scary. Um, I remember that a small story of that. I worked in a group home, and this was pre jujitsu days. And we we progressive management of anger aggressive behavior is, is PMAB is what we yeah, do. yeah and it's yeah. one of those where you know yeah. you do kind of dance choreography moves. Yeah. Oh, when a kid chokes you, you do this. When you do that, and we had them all. You know, you get in, get out, and you're three hours, you get accredited, yeah. okay, you're, you're safe to work. And a kid put me in a rear naked choke. So people don't know a rear naked choke is behind you. He's got his arm fully around your neck. He's choking <laughs> yeah. a group home kid. And I was sitting on stairs. So I couldn't fall forward, and I couldn't fall back because he had more leverage because he was sitting higher in stairs. He had me. Yeah. Had he chosen to, he was mad, and he chose to let it go. If he didn't want to let it go, I would have been unconscious, yeah. and he could have done whatever he wanted to. He could have could have did whatever could have stomped me so yeah just that's my small testament to how real and this kid was like 14 like you know what i mean it only took him yeah. a second to get his arm around the back of my neck and lock it on oh, yeah. and i couldn't do anything i felt so helpless like it's back to that analogy if you don't train real it's like saying you've never had a day of swimming and go jump into 12 feet yeah. of water and you can flail as hard as you want you can kick and thrash you're you're gonna drown right yeah uh, yeah so. for sure and then on top of it, then you're going through, what was that I learned? But never mind the that adrenaline dump mm-hmm. that happens and the panic. You know, mm-hmm. I'm going, uh, uh, so, you know, the victim is like, I can't believe this is happening or, or you know, uh, and that's it. You, you're done. It's over, right? Um, so I would keep it super simple. The brain, the brain when, when something happens, it looks for an answer and it goes into your memory banks, right? Mm-hmm. And it starts searching. And when it doesn't find anything, we typically... <clears throat> it we we uh we just freeze yes you know and so yeah training training realistically is it's it's difficult i won't do it a level one for like i'm sunday the sunday coming up and doing a three-hour course you're doing women's self-defenses yeah Yeah. so this is the third third one and then we'll do a level two down the road so the people that did the first one that want to come in and take it a little bit higher they they can Mm -hmm. you know a little more resistance um well, we get to some good stuff, you know, they'll, they'll do a little bit of knife defense, ground, a little bit of everything, but just super simple stuff that works. And, and uh, uh, you know, you also got to look at levels, right? Like maybe you're in a group home and, you know, the things, certain things you just can't do to this kid to the point where you got somebody that really wants to hurt you and or wants to take your kid or whatever, where mm-hmm. all, all bets are off. You need those skills too, right? I just watched a video before I came here. It just by happened came up and it's the Gracies were teaching when your child gets abducted if you do see your child get abducted and they 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 studied it and they said that everybody naturally their mind goes to their child 
like get that kid yeah. back. They, they, they yeah. lose all cognition in the brain and they get tunnel vision for the kid. And it's like the completely wrong approach. You should be getting the person or getting the vehicle description or getting, you know, information like the, it's just your brain tells you exactly yeah. the wrong thing to do almost yeah. in that situation. Interesting. So it's like, I guess what they're thinking of is like an airplane going down, right? And the mass pumps out instead of trying to give it to your kid and then you pass out, you put your own on mm-hmm. and then you can help others around you. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, they're they're doing some pretty cool stuff with, you know, spreading the word. They're at the the Helio, their grandfather wanted to see it everywhere, and it's it's happening. Yes. I mean, it's in every country. When we started Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, it was in Brazil. That was it. Mm-hmm. There was maybe a black belt living here or there, but it was really few and far between. We actually got Danny Maroney was the first Canadian born black belt, and we got him to come to Thunder Bay and he's been working with us that was 2000 2001 he's been working with us ever since Mm -hmm. we were lucky you know to do that but yeah those guys have spread it everywhere it's pretty cool yeah I I think it's needed too especially I that's my hope that eventually it could be on par with kind of like wrestling in the sense that it's it's kind of like a bullyproof program that's in place that that kids are getting that hands-on yeah um if people wanted to find out more information about Leading Edge, where would they go? Um, you know, we're online. Uh, our new website will come out pretty soon. And uh, we have a website up right now. So just leadingedgemma.com. Uh, Facebook, we do a lot on Facebook. On just our public page, just Leading Edge. Um, we're just down on Mooney Street, 385 Mooney. Stop in any night and uh, come on down and try out a class. We always give you, uh, you know... Uh, I've directed people to other martial arts, other classes, other gyms. There are some, you know, like every city, you know, the martial arts is the good, the bad, and the ugly. And it's the same in, in Thunder Bay. And you got you guys got to go out and I believe really get in there, try a couple of classes, no charge. See if it's, if we have what you're looking for. If not, I'll help you find a place based on your goals, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think that's... that's uh, you know, I'm not a great salesman that way. I want people to be yeah, happy. Yeah, you're hands-on. Yeah, with, with I want them to be right happy, way. right? And there is a, you know, I, I, I believe in the martial arts for, for everyone, combat sports, whatever. There's, there is something for you, and, uh, um, you know, and I'll help you find it if, that's, uh, if we don't have it. It's almost found when you do it right, it's almost vocational. It's like you could pump it out like a business, and you could get the numbers in there, and you can, you know, homogenize yeah. it into a program, but... It's, yeah. it's a people thing. It's hard yeah. to quantify, right? Like yeah. I work in the child and youth work exp- it, uh, career and it's like, it's hard to quantify what you do in a day because yeah. you can have one deadly conversation or a deadly training session with someone where they get something that they may have not gotten a class, you know, because you spent an extra half hour with them on the side where it's, it's very hands-on. It's so yeah. unique in that sense where you can't quantify it and... Well, you can belts and stuff like that, but yeah. that doesn't really mean much. Belts are just colored up. And that yeah, way. but belts are very much a North American thing, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, a lot of martial arts had none. It was white. Yeah, it got dirty. It got darker. It got black. And but you know, you're seeing that with with Brazilian Jiu Jitsu too. You're starting to see where the, it's really in North America now, and you're seeing. You know, some of the rules and stuff that we saw from some of the traditional martial arts are just are ridiculous. And, and, you know, you wouldn't see Brazilians do it. But And, and people love their belts. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really tough in in, uh, in some systems. You know, thing with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, it's, it, it's a combat sport. So it's good to have your basics and everyone does an armbar the same. But 
it you know everyone does a triangle there's a good way to do you know a, a triangle but um it's there's no cookie cutter right mm-hmm. uh, if you look at a good example is machado brothers there's five of them they're all world champs and they all fight they all do an armbar the same they do a really good technical armbar but they all fight totally opposite of each other you have one that's kind of whoa flying all over the place you got you know the hegan who used to just squash people you had carlos who's really fast moving around and but they all had flawless technique and they learned those basics and then they developed their system from their own flair to it based on solid basics and Mm -hmm. and that was one of the things that i always tried to do and give people um good solid basics and then let them develop you know, all, all all of my fighters were like that. You had some that were more strikers, some more grapplers. It wasn't a cookie-cutter formula because then I miss out on your strengths. Mm-hmm. And I do know gyms like that. Well, we're, you know, heavy wrestlers. Always always take them down. Always ground and pound them. And then people mm-hmm. figure it out. And maybe that's not your strength. Maybe you're not good at that. We have different body types, different mentalities too. Some are counter-punchers, counter-strikers. Some are very aggressive you know mm-hmm. work to their strengths right and and ground too mm-hmm. you know just that one brazilian jiu-jitsu um, teach them really good basics and they'll 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 develop their style themselves so you, that's where that aliveness comes in it's so mm-hmm. important um you gotta have some kind of sparring some kind of uh, ability to do things alive Mm-hmm. You know, and that that seems so art simple almost, enough. Eh? Like the martial, like they say, it's a martial art, and that's where the artistry almost comes yeah. in a little bit, in where you can put your own. Because that's what jujitsu. You see, like most people do jujitsu, or you know, have degrees and are, yeah, are nerds, yeah, and you know, sure. like it's just, and you see people play it different. Yeah. You know, you see the athletes yeah. come in who are the high school wrestlers and do jujitsu, yeah. and then you see like the guys who are you know working. You see doctors from teachers yeah. to everything doing it. It's, yeah. it's super. We have cool a lot of engineers. It's funny. Yes, right? it's, it's a very much a thinking man's, and it's a cult man. Those yes. guys live. Guys who do Brazilian jiu-jitsu, it's one of the best bang for your buck. Because if you stand around that gym, somebody's training at some point. Yes, morning, noon, always. and night, evening, um, there's always somebody training. And it's, uh, yeah, it's 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 cool. You know? Now, I was curious to ask, because we were, we're touching on Leading Edge, and, and the last kind of place I want to go through, it's, it's funny, I kind of like imagine it as the mob. Like, you're a coach. You got in, you know, you've affected so many people. Do you see yourself ever getting out? Or is this something that's, oh. where? where's your transition now? Because yeah. you, you mentioned your age a little bit. You yeah. mentioned retirement. What is the future leading edge and you and your career and your passion of doing it? What does that look like yeah. in the future? Wow. So I'm figuring that out. Not to right? put you on the spot no, there yeah. at that in the gym, but just in yeah. general. Yeah, no, no, that's, um, yeah, there's lots going on right now. So so just my own training and training with people. One, I've probably learned more in the last two or three years than I ever have. And I'll continue with that. Um, training, you know, online with this guy and this guy and doing my own stuff. And I, I love doing that. I'll continue with that. The gym, what I'd like to see is, um, is you know, slowly getting out of I'll head coach for a while. Um, I love coaching the boxing right now and that kind of stuff, overseeing stuff, working the MMA. But I'd like to bring in some younger blood for sure. Um, as I, um, I hope to retire next year from the city. Mm-hmm. And um, right now I'm doing a lot of, uh, a lot of work with indigenous groups. Um, next week I'll go up to a northern reserve. Um, I have a group in on Friday. I have a group. Um, we put a proposal in to to start um, 
what we do at Leading Edge at a, at a Northern Reserve. Mm-hmm. Delico uh, came by the other day. Yeah, asking for yeah, you. They want. They said they have money to put into oh, a man, program. I have so many, so many just people. so much. Mm-hmm. Like I've probably worked with almost every agency, uh, you know, indigenous agency in town at some point over the last year, two years, and um, people are really seeing, you know, combat sports, um, how how it changes lives. You know, mm-hmm. it, it builds. Uh, such self-esteem and uh you know people feel so good about themselves when they train in it um and you know i think wow promoting violence uh, you know i had so many people that come in that were violent people that you know and it ended that day that they got in because sometimes they just need you know uh, an outlet for their mm-hmm. so so i have i have so many ideas right that i want to do so mm-hmm. i think uh, I'll stay working at at leading edge, and and that's that's a big part of it. But I definitely like to bring some other some younger blood in as as owners and coaches and stuff like that. Um, and um, I I've been working on an idea called mentor a champ, and I'd really like to uh, to work with with the indigenous kids, um, finding these kids, bringing them into to our environment that we have. We have a really positive environment with so many great people. So you get, you know, a kid that's interested in boxing or jujitsu, I match him up with a mentor, mm-hmm. you know, just checks on him, see, you know, school's going, you know, hey, you missed class today, whatever, how you doing, you know, go out and talk. Mm-hmm. You know, that changes lives. Having someone mm-hmm. that's interested in you changes lives. Having a positive environment changes lives. And then getting them to, you know, uh, already have a, a group of guys who want to go back to, you know, their northern community and start up what we do. Nice. You know, go up there, uh, you know, every, you know, every month or every couple of months and, and work with them. And, and but having somebody that goes back there and lives there and, 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 and does uh, a program like we have would be would That'd be life changing. Yeah, I, I, I almost think of that with the kids Brazilian Jiu Jitsu that I teach, like. I could teach it to almost, like, it's so cross-diverse. Like, it yeah. can go into so many environments and just sure. be so affluent, I find. So that that's, that, I'd love to see it spread in that way. Yeah, so we're working on that right now, and that's that would be, you know, one of my goals. When you um, say we, is that with a particular organization, or is that? Uh, a few of them. Yeah. Yeah, I'm working with a few of them right now. I do a lot of work with Anma. They have been a huge supporter of our gym, and, and we get their, all their people in. We're starting to get their clients in. I love the work they're doing, um, man. They're they're changing lives. They have all kinds of programs going, and um, Oshki uh, Pimosh, they do an education, you know, the education out of um, Centennial Square, and um, going up some northern reserves with them. There's six mm-hmm. that we have slated, so I'll I start noticed, that yeah. Thursday. So I, I have I've noticed that in recent years, they're kind of getting uh, social welfare organizations are kind of getting. I don't want to say the right idea, but just a different lens of like, hey, let's yeah. let's get positive into the people's lives instead of, you know, kind of oversight. And yeah. it's just a different modality that for sure. I think is going to have a positive impact. And yeah. I'm super excited to see where that goes for the day. Yeah. yeah, you know, I, I think well, what we talked about that, just being in the moment, you know, we don't get enough of that anymore, right? Mm-hmm. We're, 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 we're losing us ourselves you know we're we're our social media and we're just bombarded with stuff all day long these these poor kids like do they ever get a moment where they just get to sit quietly right Mm -hmm. there's an old saying i think it was pascal that had said it you know that all men's problems come from all humanity's problems come from the inability to sit alone in a room Mm -hmm. and that was well that's an old quote today that's like a hundred times more Mm -hmm. valid 
And, uh, you know, there is two parts to us. Are, uh, we have that ego and we have that higher self and you need that quiet. That, the ego is loud and it's always, and if it's bombarded with noise, you never hear that little, that higher self, right? That, that, mm-hmm. and, and I think that's where as humanity, that's our evolution. There's been people that, you know, they're enlightened, whatever it may be, um, that, that come from that space. That that's where we we will go, but we'll never get there without having you know quiet time and 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 just to go inward. That's where our way out of. We talk about what's going on in Thunder Bay and society. That's our way out. It's to go inwards, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And to um, to to be become better people, to be less judgmental, and to be kinder to each other. You know, mm-hmm. and and to make to we have an inner our, our circle that we meet every day, and to just really go out in the morning and and just be real in those interactions with people right mm-hmm. and uh that, you know and they're noticing that's that's it combat sports is one of those ones that get them there a little bit at a time right mm-hmm. and that's what i have loved about brazilian jiu-jitsu it gets people in the moment that just doesn't happen anymore yes it does and and i find Maybe where I want to leave this conversation off, and it was an Aboriginal elder who taught me this, and I'd love to have him on the, on the podcast at one time, but he said, people need four basic things, and I think leading edge, and when you join something, creates that, creates that identity, that belonging, the purpose, and self-esteem. You get those all filled. Like, when yeah. you throw on a leading edge shirt, and like you've said to me, you know, I've made mistakes in my life you know that you're aware of other people in the gym have you know a lot of people have and it's a family it's yeah. when you put on leading edge is you're part of the family For sure. and people feel that they feel like wow these guys like me they, they like training yeah. with me so you get that identity you get that belonging you're like you're not yeah. looking oh i'm out there causing trouble i'm out here learning something cool you know your self-esteem starts growing and you're like oh, i got a purpose maybe i can whether your purpose is out there in the world or it's in their teaching or whatever you find your purpose that's what I've noticed Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu has done for me. Like it's, like I said, it's turned down all the other things and kind of like it's replaced, right? They say that with addictions especially. It's like yeah. you don't get rid of addictions by just cutting it out and grinding your teeth with willpower. You got to fill your cup with right. with other things, right? So you, there's no room for for the garbage to come in. And nice. So that's where my big thank you to you is 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 you've helped me with my life tremendously so i appreciate that and i'm sure you've affected i know you probably haven't heard that from you probably hear that all the time but it's it's been dramatic in my life so i really appreciate it and i know i probably say thank you on behalf of hundreds of people so i think i want to leave it at that and uh yeah it's just Uh, it's awesome thanks for having me today it's been a pleasure matt awesome thank you